Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, professor of religious studies at Hendricks College and theologian in residence of Canvas Community in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning and Music at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish, one Christian. This week, we're reading the story of Jacob's midnight wrestle as told in Genesis 32, 9-13 and 22-30. We talk about the way Jacob pauses to pray for God's protection as he prepares to face his brother Esau. First, reminding God of God's past promises, and then asking for God to save him. We discuss the mysterious figure who appears to wrestle Jacob in the night, whom Jacob ultimately understands to have been God. We ponder what it means that Jacob wrestles this figure to a draw, and wonder whether God, like the man, is challenged and even changed by wrestling with Jacob and with us. And we notice that Jacob emerges from his dark night of the soul not only with a new name and a new blessing, but also with a limp. We think about how often blessings seem to come with limps, and the ways in which we, like Jacob, so often carry the marks of our struggles with us as we emerge into a new day. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Amy, how are you this week? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am pretty good. I am pretty good. I spent the day yesterday in the in a tiny, not tiny, but fairly small wading pool in my backyard with two five-year-olds hanging out and <laughs> dumping water on my head. <laughs> so that, that's how I'm doing. Uh, okay, good. My parenting story for the weekend is that I let my 17-year-old get a helix piercing, which is like the top of your ear. It's nothing too crazy, but it's like cartilage instead of your earlobe. Oh, yeah. And we went to a place called Tattoo Fiesta. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, let's see. Long story short, he got up too quickly afterwards and like started to like not look so good and like look kind of woozy. And it's in the middle of this crowded mall. And I was like, you need to sit down. And he kind of ignored me. And I was like, you are six feet tall and I cannot catch you if you fall. So you need to sit down. And he's like swaying (laughs) back and forth. And then this big, like muscly tattooed guy came over and like helped him down and like held his legs up and held smelling salts under his nose. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And they kept looking at me like, this is normal. It's okay. And I was like, yeah, I know. And I had to restrain myself from not taking a picture of him and posting it on <laughs> Yeah. Uh, hold it over him later when you need something from him. I'm going to take uh-huh. a picture. Mm-hmm. Your story was reminding me of when I, the first time I gave blood, I was in college. And like the, they, they had the thing set up in this big sort of open room and you laid on the table. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think I was probably a freshman. I was like, I was not cool, but I was trying to be cool and like, whatever. And you know, I gave my blood. I ate my nutter butter. <laughs> I stood up <laughs> and I was about to pass out. So then they made me like glide back down on the table and do bicycle kicks like in the middle of this room with like 200 <laughs> people. 
<laughs> it was so embarrassing. And everybody oh, was watching me. Bicycle kicks. I yeah. haven't had that. I clearly before. have some unprocessed trauma from the public bicycle kicks that I had to do. I mean, that's fair. That's really bicycle kicks is like another level. Yeah. I feel like maybe they just did that to mess with you. Like you don't <laughs> come on. You don't need to do bicycle kicks. Yeah. They might have done done it. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, I don't know. Jacob today is not going to get a piercing, but he is going to have his hip disjointed. Maybe he maybe he do did too many bicycle kicks. kicks. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anywho, so we're today in Genesis chapter thirty-two. We're going to start with verses nine to thirteen, and then what is a really weird and also pretty famous text about some somebody wrestling with Jacob in in thirty-two twenty-two to thirty. Yeah. We have moved a ways since last time when we talked about the birth of Jacob's father, Isaac. And so now we're, I don't know, a generation and a half down the yeah. down the road. There's a lot that has happened, some of it fairly important to understanding mm-hmm. what's going on in this text. So if you were going to catch us up, what would you say? Okay, so yes, as you said, it's like a generation and a half down the road. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac grows up and has two twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is older, but Jacob manages to get the blessing and the birthright that is usually reserved for the eldest son. He does this through some trickery and also with the help of his mother, and when he finally gets the the blessing from Isaac, who doesn't really know what's going on in the story, I won't go into all those details. Esau is like murderously angry about yes. this. As you, I mean, as you would be. As you would be. Like this, it's not just, I mean, it's hard to describe how important the blessing is in the context of this story and this worldview, because we always think of a, a blessing as like, I'm going to give you my good wishes Right. But, like, there really was a sense that you were changing someone's fate yes. with, you know, the blessing of the father to the son. And yes. and Esau had good reason to believe he was entitled to this blessing that had now just gone to Jacob. So Esau is incredibly angry, and Jacob, to save his own skin, leaves home and goes to live with his uncle for many years during which time he marries not one, but two women who are sisters and has a whole bunch of children, not only with those two women, but also with two other women, (laughs) their servants. In all this time, he's living with his uncle, Levon, and sort of working towards the well-being of that household, of Levon's household. Right before this chapter, Jacob has decided it's time to leave and establish his own household. And as he does, he is newly afraid that he's going to encounter Esau again because things didn't go so well. Yeah. <laughs> Last time he saw Esau, things were bad. And he sends messengers out ahead to try to seek Esau's favor, but the messengers just come back and basically say Esau is traveling with a veritable army. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is not looking good for you. I don't. There's one other thing I want to say that I don't know if it's impossible. Sorry, I don't know if it's important, like plot wise, but I feel like it's just sort of in the air with Jacob because you know he's gonna he's gonna wrestle with some kind of 
entity that we'll discuss what what is the nature of that entity when we get to it. But Jacob has a couple of stories associated with him that involve angels or divine messengers. Yes. The first one is, you know, what we refer to as Jacob's ladder, which is when he first has left home and is on his way to his uncle's house. He has that, you know, famous dream of the ladder with divine beings sort of going up and down. Yes. And then right before this chapter, it says he encounters angel of God. Sorry, right before our reading, the beginning of this chapter, 32, he encounters angels of God that cause him to name the place a certain way. It doesn't really say much more about the angels in this context, but the idea that Jacob encounters angels or messengers of God on the road is a thing. Yeah. Like it's a thing. Maybe it's a thing in our story. He thinks it's a thing in, in our story for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's sort of, there's a thinness between the divine realm and the, and the mm. earthly realm when it comes to Jacob. There's a sort of I like that way of, between I them. like that way of talking about it. Mm. You're just like right up close to that veil. Mm-hmm. We also saw this theme, of course, last week with mm-hmm. Abraham and the, the, we talked for a long time about the Lord appeared and the Lord appears in as these three people, or maybe it's the Lord and two messengers. And so with this family that Jacob belongs to, there is also this presence of God with this family in yeah. embodied ways in a way that is not everybody's experience, mm-hmm. I think, at least mm-hmm. among the Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that with relative confidence. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It is not just Jacob. It is certainly Abraham, too. That was a really lovely and helpful bridge, Amy. I appreciate all of that. What did I miss? Is there anything else you feel like we need on the table to start? There's just a couple of things that I think might be in the background here that are worth talking about. One of them is simply this guy, Jacob, is his, you mentioned how many children he had with how many wives. Mm -hmm. He ends up having 12 sons as you well know. And these are the 12 tribes of Israel. So so what we're talking about here with Jacob is the sort of direct father of the 12 tribes that become the nation of Israel. And so that's kind of in the background of this story. And I want to ask you about it at the end of this story, probably about how do we think about this particular figure being the kind of eponymous ancestor of the tribes of Israel. It's not super relevant at this point, but it's maybe worth having in mind. The other thing is actually not have, doesn't have anything to do with this story directly, but it's just, we don't get to read in the narrative lectionary the, the actual story of Jacob encountering Esau, mm. which Jacob is anticipating as this terrible, violent, angry, murderous encounter. And it turns out that Esau misses his brother and he weeps and embraces him and mm-hmm. welcomes him back. And Esau has sort of let it yeah. pass. And he's the time that has passed, the, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know what all went into it for Esau, but he goes from being in the first part of the story that you were talking about, this kind of oafish, like easily tricked, like, I don't know, Jacob takes what belongs to him. And we as readers, at least I am kind of like, yeah, Give it to him, Jacob. 
And then Esau turns out to be like this enormously gracious human being who welcomes his brother back with open arms and tearful mm-hmm. cheeks. And I, I just love that story. I'm, I'm, I'm a little sad that we don't read it, but anyway. Yeah. Their reunion is really, really interesting in a lot of, in a lot of ways, but I love that you raised that up. So we pick up then in chapter 32, verse nine with Jacob's prayer in anticipation of what he's about to do the next day, encountering his brother Esau. Jacob said, Lord, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make sure things go well for you. I don't deserve how loyal and truthful you've been to your servant. I went away across the Jordan with just my staff, but now I've become two camps. Save me from my brother Esau, I'm afraid he will come and kill me, the mothers and their children. You were the one who told me, I will make sure things go well for you, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, so many you won't be able to count them. Jacob spent that night there. From what he had acquired, he set aside a gift for his brother Esau. Okay, so I just want to talk first about the concept of praying. Mm the night before you're anticipating some sort of big encounter. Mm. Thoughts about what motivates Jacob or what he's like, I mean, I don't know. There's, I don't know what, I don't know what one would say, but you could have this story without a prayer in it, right? Like there's a strategy about how to split the camp and to do all the things. And then you just kind of go and do what, what you do. Jacob pauses to talk to God in the midst of all of that. How do you reflect on that? pause. Mm, I love that question, Bobby, because I had, I had thought a little bit about like the way that he prays, the way that he sort of structures his prayer, which, you know, we can talk about separately. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about that. The fact that he stops to pray, I mean, look, I don't know what is actually in, in Jacob's mind, but for me to be able to stop and like when there's something, something heavy on his heart to be able to just say it, like say what is the thing you're afraid of and what is the thing you long for. And I think that's really, I think that's really beautiful. And I know it gets complicated. I I read something recently that's been so freeing for me, which is that you can pray without having figured out your theology. Like you don't have to have a systematic theology to pray. A prayer is saying your most saying what is true, expressing your longings, expressing your, you know, what what's really in there. And so putting aside the theology of whether God does or doesn't deliver people and what it means for Jacob to be asking for help at this point, I think it's really beautiful that he stopped to orient himself in the world of God and in his relationship with yeah. God even while he's probably got a thousand thoughts running through his head and he's strategizing and he's, yeah. you know, splitting the camp in two and sending gifts and, you know, I think that's really lovely. And I don't think I would have really thought about it if you'd asked the question differently. So thank you for that. I love that. And this idea that the picture is incomplete without invoking God in the situation. So it's not the case that he simply prays and doesn't do anything. Like he's also right. got his other kind of ways of thinking about it just on the mundane level. 
but that doesn't feel complete. And so invoking invoking God, like recognizing God's role in the in the bigger picture. The other thing I was thinking as you were talking is my recollection of that story of Jacob's encounter with God at Bethel is that God just in God just does that, right? Jacob is traveling, he's mm-hmm. gets tired, he lays down with his head on a rock for the night, mm-hmm. and then God just shows up. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways there's a there's like a mutuality here that the one time God just showed up for Jacob and now Mm -hmm. Jacob is sort of acknowledging that the road goes both ways or something like that. Yeah, no, you're right. In the other story, it's there, there's a Midrash that God is in the other story that God is really trying to get Jacob's attention and Jacob's not really paying attention. (laughs) Yeah. And that God finally makes the sun go down in the middle of the day. So Jacob will lay down in that, Spot. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Because God has something to to say. And God sort of starts that conversation. And it, you know, and that and then Jacob says, Oh, God is in this place. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. But you're right. In this case, Jacob, Jacob is the one who initiates this. That's really interesting, Amy. I love, I love the the perspective you bring in from the Midrash, because it always captures something that's really deeply true in the text but that you don't necessarily pay attention to in quite the same way without it. What that was evoking for me was like, I think of Jacob and God kind of being in this thing together, but really the first part of this story is God's in it with Jacob, Mm -hmm. as you're saying, and God has to show up and do this dramatic thing. And then in that story, you know, Jacob says, if you go with me That's and right. if you bring me back and if you Then you me, can be my God. Yeah. Then you'll be my God. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So Jacob's like holding back. Like once everything is all done, then I'll commit myself back to you. Yeah. And here, so the fact that Jacob is initiating here, I think is really interesting in that way because it shows that Jacob finally, finally has acknowledged that Jacob needs God mm-hmm. too, maybe. I don't know. This might be self-interested at the end of the day, but it is at least an it is at least an appeal that comes from Jacob that doesn't involve God's uh, prior initiative. Yeah, you mentioned the way that Jacob structures the prayer, which which is so interesting. So in verse eleven, Jacob finally gets to the the ask, right? Save me. But before mm-hmm. that is this whole like prelude to the prayer. Can you just talk a little bit about? what you see in the way Jacob sets up that ask in verse 11. Okay. So first there's the sort of traditional invoking of the fathers. You know, we have the initial covenant is set with Abraham. So we have to go all the way back. Like, remember you had Abraham (laughs) and then remember (laughs) Isaac and I'm in that lineage. And then, and then there's this reminder of what God has already said. Yeah. You told me. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> but if I did this, you would deal well with me. And then it moves through this like humility and gratitude for what has already unfolded for him. Yeah. And then it gets to the ask. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of, those are a lot of steps. Yeah. A lot of different contexts that he's putting around his prayer. It's a really smart prayer. And I, and I really love this. Like the thing that Jacob is asking for is not self-contained, right? It's part of a bigger story. Yeah. And it's part of 
God's continuing story. And so placing his own situation in this broader context of God's promises that have been up until now have been kept. Mm -hmm. I just think that's such an interesting, like, Hey, remember who you are and remember what you've said and like be the God that you said Mm -hmm. you were going to be. It's like helpful to stir God's memory in this kind Mm -hmm. of way or to like acknowledge that, you know, and that there's an ongoing story that is bigger than just you. Right. I really like that. And it does, does that make it feel any less, um, I want to use the word self-serving, but I don't know if that's the right word. Like, I love the way you just described that as like, this is, this is happening in a bigger context and God actually set that context, not Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. And I had always, I mean, I tend to read Jacob as sort of like manipulative. I don't know if I should really be saying that the forefather of the people Israel, but that is the character that is often displayed. He is often uh, characterized as a trickster, as you know, in biblical scholarship. And so he's a tricky guy. Right. And so this seems like it could be, you know, strategically self-serving. And it is, but I guess the point you're making is that what is what's good for Jacob here is also serving the plan yes. that God has put in motion. So yes. those things are not they're they're not at odds. I think that's so important, Amy. And I, I don't know how it is in your tradition, but in the Christian tradition, people are often a little reluctant to ask directly or to expect that God should do something. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of direct prayer is often a little bit, mm-hmm. I don't know, it feels a little bit embarrassing or a little bit shameful exactly because yeah. it feels self-serving. Yeah. This prayer is saying, no, I mean, and if you read the Psalms, like they're that way too, right? Yeah. It is, look, God, I need a thing. Mm-hmm. And here's the context in which I need that thing. And it's your ongoing promises, what you've done for me thus far. There is a relationship here. And for this relationship to continue, like I need, like I cannot die tomorrow (laughs) if this relationship is going to continue. And so I think there's a, like, I like the way you, like, I don't think, is it self-serving or not? Like this sort of prayer, petition prayer really is like at the end of the day, it is self-interested, even Mm -hmm. if not self-serving, but it's recognizing that the self-interest is also in God's interest and that, like that mutuality, I think is really important, and yeah. a really a, like a nice model for prayer in some ways. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right, and I think I don't know as I've as I age, Bobby, I kind of think that like if we're not lifting up the things that we most feel like we need in prayer, what are we doing? What are we doing? Yeah. Even if we don't have a theology that's like, like I think I need to be very cautious of a theology in which like I pray for things and then expect it's going to happen as I. Yeah. say it, like that's not really for me to sort out. But yeah. if I can't even say the thing that feels most pressing to me, like really what am I doing? That I'm going yeah. through the motions of prayer, but not actually, not really in it. The other thing that you just evoked for me is, you know, Jacob is not asking for the thing that he wants mm-hmm. just out of nowhere. He is asking for the thing that God has set out for him, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, you told me you were going to bring me back safely. So Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. This is different than like praying for something that 
I just want, right, out mm-hmm. of my own self. It is sort of framing my own wants and my own hopes and my own expectations in light of this larger thing that God has already set out, which may or may not be what I myself would really want. And that's what Jacob is is doing here. Yeah. Now the petition comes in verse 11. It's direct. Save me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid he will come and kill me, the mothers and their children. Any thoughts just about that petition? This is a very strange thought, Bobby, but this is my thought. Oh, like last season sometime, we were reading, I don't know, from one of the prophets. I don't even remember which one. I think it was a prophet. Maybe it was a prophet <laughs> being quoted in the New Testament. I don't yeah. I don't even know. But it was this prayer that we say on Rosh Chodesh, the new moon in the Jewish community, but that's like as you're sort of greeting the king, you also say, save us. Yes. Make us successful. And so we talked about how those three things are related, like the celebration of the proverbial king, the divine king, that goes immediately to save us and make us successful. And I've just been thinking a lot lately for some reason, probably because we have a new moon every month, so I have a lot of opportunity to think about (laughs) this. (laughs) Every 29 days. How that sort of celebration of the divine's power and presence leads directly into an understanding that they can save you and and bring you success and— so that that for whatever reason is is what came to my mind when I was getting yeah. that that there is inherent in here a recognition and sort of a celebration of divine power and connection like yeah. to be able to say save save me save me from this yeah requires that previous step yeah I love that Amy I think we are probably talking about the Palm Sunday text. Yeah, I think it was Palm Sunday. In, in which the people say, Hosanna, save us, yeah. which is then a quotation from Psalm something, so, which I cannot yeah. remember right now. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Right. I know yeah. it from the liturgy, but I don't know it from. That's right. That's, I wanted to say it's 80 something, but I don't know. There's an eight in there. Anyway, mm. yeah. And so I, I love that. So he's here asking for something, but also recognizing God's power, capacity of God to save. That's really important. Then he goes back. Don't forget, you were the one who told me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I will make sure. I don't know. Is there anything different? Like that? It's sort of like a remember your promises sandwich here, right? Like the right. Uh, yes, there is a remember promises, your promises ask, sandwich. Promises. I mean, yeah. it brings in the second time. The recognition of the promises seems to relate to the mothers and children yes. that are with him, and that right. the promise wasn't just "I will bring you back." It's the whole descendants like sands of the sea situation yes and if you you know he's had all these children (laughs) while he was away that as you pointed out are going to be the the tribes of israel the heads of the tribes of israel and if they're now slaughtered as as soon as they leave levan's property then that's problem for god's story yes yeah so this is the fundamental promise that God had made to Abraham first back in chapter 12 and then Mm. reiterates for Isaac and then for Jacob. And so this is like getting to the core of not just of 
Jacob's life, but of God's life, right? God, who God has claimed to be is the God who can and will make descendants like the sand on the sea for Abraham. And so God's got some skin in this game too, in this interesting kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Any, is there anything else you want to say about this first prayer section before we move on to the wrestling? I don't think so. I mean, there is some Talmudic critique, rabbinic critique of Jacob for putting himself in a dangerous situation and then asking for miraculous <laughs> acts <laughs> yeah. from God that like, oh, that's interesting. you're not really supposed to do that. Like, <laughs> but I've been thinking about like, whether I really think that's what he's doing. Like, did he put himself in this dangerous situation? I mean, Sort of, sort of. I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of sitting with whether I think that's a fair critique or not. But I think I prefer thinking about it sort of as as you started this whole line of questioning that like to leave prayer out of it would be ridiculous. What like yeah, I, I am I am glad that there is prayer in here. Whatever the mix of strategy and piety yeah. is in there. Yeah. And there is a mix of strategy and piety for mm-hmm. sure. And you see it in the, the splitting of the camps and all of these things. You see it too in this next section that we're not going to read in which Jacob takes a whole bunch of animals and sends them ahead with uh, some servants to as a gift for Esau to sort of like smooth the passage. So they'll mm-hmm. Esau will encounter the servants with these gifts first. And then uh, Jacob will be, has Jacob has already made a gesture of goodwill before he ever encounters his brother directly. Hi everyone, it's Bobby here from the Bible Worm Podcast. Welcome to season five of Bible Worm and the new year of the Narrative Lectionary. To celebrate the start of the new season, For the month of September, we're making all our Patreon benefits available to subscribers at any level. You can join at the Bible Worm supporter level for just $4 a month to receive access to early episodes, weekly liturgies, and video Bible studies for the whole month of September. At the end of the month, if you want to continue receiving these benefits, you can subscribe at a higher level. If not, you can cancel anytime. Visit patreon.com slash biblewormpodcast for details on becoming part of Bible Worm's Patreon community. Thanks for listening, and now back to this week's episode. So we'll pick up then in verse 22. Jacob got up during the night, took his two wives, his two women servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the Jabbok River's shallow water. He took them and everything that belonged to him, and he helped them cross the river. But Jacob stayed apart by himself, and a man wrestled with him until dawn broke. When the man saw that he couldn't defeat Jacob, he grabbed Jacob's thigh and tore a muscle in Jacob's thigh as he wrestled with him. Okay, so Jacob has sent parties ahead of him with gifts. Now the very last thing he does is take his immediate family, uh, Rachel and Rebecca, and then Bill and Zilpah, Mm-hmm. across the river with the with the children. And then he comes back. Is that how you read that? So now he's on the... That's what it seems like, yeah. 
It's weird. And it's interesting in your translation, it really sounds like they were like almost like they were sleeping and he woke up in the middle of the night and was like, no, you guys should go. That's right. He got up during the night. Yeah. It's not just he took them across before he settled in. That's, I mean, yeah, I would have to look at the Hebrew. My translation says that same night he arose. So yeah, I guess he arose. Like it sounds like, it sounds like they were sleeping. He, He arose in the night. Yeah. Like he had to go to the bathroom and then decided to <laughs> yeah. move his family across. I wonder how you, how do you understand mm. that? Like, I would think he would have either sent them ahead with the advance parties mm-hmm. or he would have kept them back with him. And he sort of does this, like, starts one strategy and then ends with the other. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about what's going on there? I mean, it, it's a very strange Thing to do, and the only thing that I can think that really is is beyond what the text says is that he either is like second guessing himself or had some kind of just bad feeling. Yeah, you know, like they all were sleeping, and he woke up in the middle of the night and and sent them across the river, but he didn't go with them. Like it's it's a very strange thing to do. Yeah, which actually makes me feel some. I don't know, additional empathy for Jacob, who, again, like I have such a trickster image of him in my head that it's hard for me sometimes to muster empathy for Jacob. But that feeling that sort of like he is responsible for these people and he just feels like, you know, you hear these stories of people in military situations where you just something is not right here and we have to shift. We have to shift what we're doing. And that's. That's what he does. Now, why he goes back by himself, I don't know, unless he imagines that he is the, he's this proverbial Jonah on the boat. Like, he's the one who's going to bring on whatever danger is coming, and so he should be apart from everybody. Oh, I really like that reading, Amy. So, if Esau is trying to kill him then the safest thing mm. for his family is for him not to be with them. It's for him Is that not your to reading? be with them. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sort of thrown himself overboard. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think the way I tend to read it is the opposite of that, which is that he's like, okay, they got to go through these advance parties and through my family before they get to me. So he's put himself all the way in the very back. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, you never really know it, Jacob. <laughs> yeah. I like your reading better, that he's separated himself for their protection. Although at one point he said if Esau encounters and kills the one party, then at least the other party will survive. And so, you know, he's he is anticipating that some of those advanced parties might not make it uh, through the night. But Yeah. Anyway, he's he's afraid of something that's in front of him, right? He's afraid of Esau and his 400 men who he doesn't know what their intentions are. And so he's separated himself in some way or another. He stayed back on the other side of the river by himself. Yeah. Now, in the Hebrew, it's just in the middle of this verse. A man wrestled with him until the dawn broke. It's not like he saw a man coming from on the cliffs. It's just like all of a sudden... Yeah. There's a man wrestling with him. I don't, it's just this, it's just such a strange. It's so strange. It's a strange event. It's a strange way of narrating the event. 
Yeah. As soon as the people go across and he comes back, now he's engaged in this wrestling match with what is at this moment anyway, a man. Yeah. How do you understand what's happening right here? Oh man. I mean, that that's like the $24,000 question, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it used to be a $64,000 question. Oh, I couldn't remember. Inflation, man. It's, it's the worst. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I guess inflation, inflation would be, would be more, like a, like a $128,000 question. Yeah. They can't afford to pay the $64,000 anymore is what I was thinking. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, That's... budget cuts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a big question. I mean, okay. So there, there are various ways we could think about this. But the thing that's coming to my mind at this moment is that once he sends his whole family and all of his possessions over the the stream and he's alone, he's kind of back to the state he was in. Yeah. Last time he was traveling and encountering oh, yeah. God. He's alone, he's afraid for his life. He he's alone, have any he's afraid for his life, he's afraid of Esau, he has nothing. Yeah. And it's so interesting that that what he got that first time was this lovely dream. <laughs> yeah. And what he gets this time is 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 wrestling. <laughs> I love that, Amy. Like it's it almost you're making me think like maybe he was trying to recreate the scenario from the beginning of his life and he thought well oh, this worked this worked for me once this worked for me last time maybe it'll work again and then it c- turns out very differently like there's no divine escalator with angels swooping up and down yeah there's a wrestling match but if you're just reading the story along and like imagine we don't know what else happens after this yeah. i mean i think it would be easy to see it as this is esau yeah Right? Like now he's alone and a man starts wrestling him. It's Esau. The text is very vague about who this is. I think that's an entirely reasonable reading. And I think there's streams of interpretation that read it that way. Does Do you know what the Midrashim do? There are so many on this. <laughs> yeah, I bet like, so. I, you know. I, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities here. There are a lot of possibilities. I mean, some people read this as Esau. It has been read as though this is like a one of these sort of demons that lives in the desert and like attacks people when they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It has been read as this is an angel of God. Mm-hmm. It has been read, and Jacob's going to interpret it a little bit later, as this is God himself. Mm-hmm. Some people want to spiritualize this or psychologize this and think that like this is Jacob wrestling with himself. Yeah. There's just so much possibility because the text is so withholding. It, it, it. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, there's a debate between these two uh, prominent Jewish thinkers, Maimonides and Nachmanides. Maimonides says, humans can only see angels in dreams or in waking visions. Like they're not actually there in bodies in the physical world. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so- Maimonides says this happened in Jacob's mind. This did not mm. actually happen. Yeah. And then, of course, Nachmanides says, like, but he's limping. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Something happened. But I mean, I don't know. Have you ever hurt yourself sleeping? I have. Jacob's actually. getting kind of old now. He could hurt yeah. himself sleeping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you don't have to be that old to hurt yourself sleeping. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I have definitely, I have definitely done it. Now, I like the text. This text could be more explicit about it if it wanted to be, right? Like the text is pretty explicit yeah. sometimes. Like God yes. appeared, an angel of the Lord said. And then the last text that we read, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and then we get the three men showing up. So the narrator wants us, I think, to struggle with what is happening here. It's, it's not yeah. simply that the story is told in an unclear yeah. way. It's that there's no, some I value. I think that's right. And are, are not knowing exactly what's happening here. So they, it seems like they wrestle all night, mm-hmm. and neither one of them is able to get the advantage. This is a dumb, I have a dumb wrestling question for you. Yeah. What, what is the goal here? Is like, so, is the, this man trying to kill Jacob? Is he trying to like pin him to the wrestling mat? Like what? I don't know what the end game is for wrestling. <laughs> well, it depends, I guess. Like in high school wrestling, you're not trying to kill your opponent. No, you, know? you don't want to. <laughs> 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 it's a penalty if you kill is, your like, opponent. Just like three seconds or something like that. Yeah. In like a cage match, like I guess there's probably <laughs> like fight club or whatever, you know, like fight to the death or make somebody bloody. I've always read this as like trying to wrestle him into submission. So like sort of like when you were, mm. I don't know, like that cry uncle or whatever, where yeah. you like wrestle a kid to the ground until they scream something. And then you're the like, I, see. I don't know. You're kind of a jerk, but you're also like the No, but you're like the one. supreme ruler. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So I read it as that sort of thing. Like they are trying to get one another to give up, to yield. And neither one of them yields. I think you could read it as a fight to the death. I don't think there's anything that keeps you from doing that. But I don't know. No, but I think that you're that reading – uh to get get someone to cry uncle is more fruitful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, why are they trying to get somebody to cry uncle? That that I do not know, but it's a, uh, yeah. So now Jacob has a torn muscle in his thigh mm-hmm. uh, that, and still seems to be fighting with the man. So we'll pick up in verse 26. The man said, let me go because the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. He said to Jacob, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name won't be Jacob any longer, but Israel, because you struggled with God and with men and won. Jacob also asked and said, tell me your name. But he said, why do you ask for my name? And he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, quote, because I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved, end quote. The sun rose as Jacob passed Peniel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the thigh muscle to this day because he grabbed Jacob's thigh muscle at the tendon. Wouldn't it be funny if this story all came from like, who can tell the craziest story about why we don't (laughs) eat this muscle? Yeah. Just tell the crazier, the crazier it is, the better. Genesis is full of these kind of etiologies <laughs> of like, this is the reason that we do that. Uh-huh. And I like, I totally can see that story ge- being generated that way. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a really fun game. It would be a fun game. Yeah, we should do that. We should have a Bible worm where we start with some premise and we see who can come up with the craziest. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. craziest version. Yeah. That is not what we're doing today. That's not what we're doing today. Another day. Here's what I love about this text is they're like wrestling for a while. It seems like you're trying to wrestle each other into submission. And then all of a sudden it changes where now the one guy is just trying to get away. Mm-hmm. And he can't even get away. Like Jacob's now just like hanging on to him. And so, it's, so, it's so interesting because I really, like from the beginning, I was reading it as like, this guy attacked Jacob. Yeah. So I would yeah. think, I always read like this as Jacob was sort of on the defensive. But when yeah. you get to this line, especially after he's just like wrenched his hip somehow. Yeah. But Jacob is not so much on the defensive because uh, clearly he won't let the guy go. Yeah. Well, it seems like this guy got into more than he had imagined. Yes. So he thought he was just going to have like a quick little wrestling match, one, two, three, <laughs> pin, and go home. <laughs> and Jacob has turned out to be quite the opponent, even with his thigh muscle torn. Uh, and the man can't over even overpower him enough to get away and like run away in the night. So he's gone from attacking Jacob to being like begging Jacob, like, please let me go. He wants to go because the dawn is breaking. Is he like, I don't like a like a vampire? I know. <laughs> he's gotta get home before the sun comes up or he turns he, to ashes I mean, or whatever. I mean the the only thing I can think is that I mean I guess there are a lot of ways to it's so open like who who is this being what is happening but there is a I don't know just in my own experience in in the world in my own body there is a sense that things happen when it's dark at night that don't happen during the day I feel like that's how I that's how I read this yeah and I'm sure I don't know how much of that I'm like imposing on the text because of my own sort of modern experience. I don't know if that was sort of an ancient understanding also, but whatever's happening here is is very strange and is not something that's meant for the light of day. Like yeah. this is a a strange private thing that's happening under the cover of night and it's just not meant for the light of day. I really love that, Amy. I think that's a great way to read it. Wrestling belongs, this this type of wrestling, whatever type of wrestling we're doing here, belongs in the night. That's the nature of what's happening. So what Jacob says is, I won't let you go until you bless me. Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. what do you think about that statement from Jacob? This is one of these statements that I don't know if people talk about this in the Christian world a lot, but this comes up a lot in the Jewish community when you are in situations that are just uh, grueling and torturous and terrible. And when they start, like at the beginning, you just would give anything for them to end. And then when they're ending, there is a sense that you you want something from having endured that. Yeah. Like you want a new kind of insight or a recognition of your strength or of your relationship to the divine or or your vulnerability in the world or something like that we that we do we we grow in some ways from these experiences and and we we require that when we are put through that kind of suffering 
we want the blessing from it. I really love that. So I, I can't let this wrestling go until I get what comes from the wrestle. I like that. Right, right, right. Although it still is so like actually imagining this situation that there's some creature wrestling Jacob and he won't let them go. And he's like, I want a blessing. Jacob. <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's interesting. So like at what, like Jacob is going to, in a minute, say, uh, name the place Peniel because I've seen God face mm-hmm. to face. And so at some point in here, Jacob understands himself to be wrestling with God, which seems like a reasonable interpretation of what is actually happening. And it's not entirely clear where Jacob figures that out or starts to think that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he asks for a blessing kind of makes you think he understands that there's something more going on here than simply like a rando dude attacked him in the middle of the mm-hmm. night. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you do read this as Jacob wrestling with God, which is, I mean, which is how I read it at the end of the day, then it is interesting that up until now, many of the blessings that have been given to Jacob's family have just come out of God's free giving, right? That's how mm-hmm. Abraham gets involved in the beginning. That's where Isaac comes from and so on. That's what, how God shows up to Jacob at Bethel. Here, there is a wrestle required for the blessing. And I just think that's interesting. Like it's a different it's a different way of receiving a blessing than what we've seen previously. Yeah. Yeah. The question entered my mind as you were talking. Why would why would God wrestle Jacob here? Like why why would God do that? And then the little Bobby in my head said, No, don't ask that question. Ask <laughs> why they would tell a story about God wrestling Jacob. Yeah. That's a much easier question. And what was the answer? What, what what was the answer little Bobby gave you? I mean, I feel like I'm wrestling God all the time. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> um, I feel like that's, that is a big part of my relationship to the divine is, is wrestling with all kinds of things and not understanding them and also not letting them go and, you know, committing to stay in it even when it's uncomfortable and, yeah, I mean, that that just seems normal to me. Like, yeah. of course we wrestle with God. I or love God. that. And then, and then I love taking it back in the other way and, and then asking again, but why does God wrestle with Jacob yeah. in the text? Yes. And that's why fascinating too, text? because there is something in God that needs to wrestle with Jacob in this mm-hmm. text. And I don't know exactly why, but it's ne- like, It's not just that we wrestle with God. Mm -hmm. It is also that God wrestles with us. And it is interesting. In this case, it comes out as a draw. Like God's not used to like (laughs) getting wrestled to a draw, you know, with human beings. So it is fascinating that there's this mutuality and a mutual wrestling. And in the same way that human beings struggle with God, so Mm -hmm. too, in some way, God struggles with, at least with this human like that is fascinating to me. And it is in that struggle where this blessing emerges. Instead of giving the blessing, though, the man, the God, whoever it is, gives him a name change. 
from Jacob. Well, it first says, what's your name? Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't even know who you're wrestling? Yeah. <laughs> wait, who are you? No, that Never is true. Again. I was going to skip right past that, but you're exactly I thought right. you were Shlomo. Okay, yeah. let's continue. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Wrong guy. That's yeah, continue. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So What's the name? name, so we clarify that the name is Jacob, and then the name is ch- is changed from Jacob to Israel. And then the man says, because you struggled with God and with men and won. Can you just talk about, I mean, I don't even know. Like, I want to ask you, like, the significance of name changes in general, but I also want to ask you the significance of changing the name from Jacob to Israel and the what meaning you think that conveys? I mean, it seems like name changes have happened. I mean, you know, Abraham and Sarah both had a name change. This is the other big name change I can think of. And they seem to happen at these moments where sort of their relationship to God is shifting. Yes. In some way. This one is a little bit different because as we go on, you know, once Abraham and Sarah are changed to Abraham and Sarah from Avram and Sarai, they they stay in their new names. Right. Jacob continues to be referred to Jacob often and is sometimes referred to as Israel right. after this, but it's not it's it's like another element of his uh of his being or his uh it's like Another way of being that is integrated into him, but it doesn't, it's not just a total change. He is yeah. not a different person after this. No, that's important. That's important. I had not really fully paid attention to that, but you're right. The name Jacob he's given, you were mentioning that Jacob and Esau are twins, mm-hmm. and Esau is born first, but Jacob comes out clutching onto his heel. Mm-hmm. And so the name Jacob means. I usually hear it as like supplanter or something like that. Like he was wrestling with his brother in the womb already trying to be the first Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. The name, so the name has changed from that to Israel. What is your understanding of what the significance of the word Israel is? I mean, my, my sort of go-to understanding of it is one who wrestles with God, ale at the end of the word being God. It's a God wrestler. It's interesting reading some of the rabbinic texts on this. They want to find Jacob means crooked and Israel comes from the meaning straight and, you know, like whatever. They want to make it a little more, I feel like, black and white than I really do. It's interesting to think about like supplanter switching to, you know, God wrestler because it still has that energy of sort of like mm, competition is the wrong word, but like there's a the other word that comes to my mind is aggression. That's not right either. But like there's some kind of like there's a real active like hands on like we're gonna try to make something happen here. Yeah. But having it changed to God, it's more like this ongoing thing. You're gonna, it's not like you're gonna supplant once or you're always gonna yeah. be the winner. It's that you're gonna stay in this, you're gonna stay in this, yeah, you know, with God. But it is a kind of similar energy in a way. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like both of those names have the sense of like not just passively accepting yeah. one situation in life, 
but trying to wrestle, uh, be a, be a, someone who's constantly engaged in trying to move forward or move onward or move out of where one has been first with, first with Esau now with God. And of course, Israel, you know, he's the eponymous ancestor of the nation of Israel. And so that becomes this interesting Mm -hmm. way, like the identifier of Israel as a people who wrestle with God. Yeah, that's pretty chutzpah dick. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I really love that because I, I mean, I just, I feel like a lot of times in my tradition, there's this sort of sense that one ought to submit to God kind of all, like no matter what. And this text is saying something different than that, which is somehow if you, if you read this as God, which I, which I mm-hmm. think maybe, which I think we should, then Jacob has engaged in the wrestling and has fought to a draw. And God seems to appreciate that or like at least like recognize and honor that. Maybe God, the man being wishes they had gotten away without having to give this blessing. But there's, there's a respect here. I feel Mm -hmm. like, and I think Mm -hmm. that's really important that the, the wrestling itself has value. Jacob asks for the man's name. Mm -hmm. And the man First says, why do you ask for my name? And then gives Jacob a blessing. Any thoughts about the reluctance of the the man to give a name? Well, first of all, just thinking as a screenwriter, which I clearly am, you can't, he can't give his name now. The whole, like, we're supposed to wonder about this dude. <laughs> yeah. He can't give a name. Yeah. But I do think there is a sort of, like if we're looking at who won this, you know, in a way you could say Jacob sort of has comes out on top because he won't let the guy go and he gets a blessing out of him. But I feel like refusing to give his name also is, is a retaining of some kind yes. of power yeah. in the relationship. So it feels more like a draw. Yeah. I like that. There's the a lot of power in the name. God's name is going to be revealed actually next week <laughs> uh, <laughs> to Moses on Sinai. Uh, and, but that is a, a choice that the deity makes to give that name. And then there's like conditions put around it in the commandments, right? Don't use that name for things. But I like what you're saying here is that there's been a victory of sorts for Jacob, but not a total victory that not just. That is probably really strategic not to give the name to Jacob because you know Jacob would have used that name <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. All right. The, Jacob names the place Peniel. I've seen God face to face and my life has been saved. So we got the man saying, Your name is Israel because you struggled with God and with men. And it's not entirely clear whether that man is saying that he is God or a man. Jacob seems to interpret it. I've seen God face to face. My life has been saved. Jacob is clear that he's been wrestling with God this whole time, I think, Mm -hmm. by now. So I don't know. What do you think about Jacob's interpretation there? I mean, I think he probably knows better than I do. Yeah. Who that creature was. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, I can imagine struggles that play out between humans that really feel like they are between you and God. So, you know, I, I wouldn't dismiss that as a possibility. I'll take Jacob's word for it. Amy, I'm just noticing this. Like, I, maybe I should have noticed it earlier, but it's so interesting. All the way back in verse 11, when Jacob says, save me, mm. the Hebrew there is Natsal. And then here, when Jacob says, "I my life has been saved, which is given in the passive voice, mm. it is that same verb, Natsal. It's the same verb. And Jacob doesn't say, I've seen God face to face and I won, (laughs) right? Right. I've seen God face to face and I have been saved, which is what he asked for, Mm. but not what he meant. Wow. And now we're talking about maybe it was God that he was wrestling this whole time, which is a little different. Yeah, certainly than what he had in mind. Not like attack me, but don't kill me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's not what Jacob meant. Yeah. If you read it that way, then one way you might unfold it is to say Jacob thinks his wrestle is with a human, with Esau, uh, Mm -hmm. and is invoking God on his behalf. But in fact, the real wrestle is with God. And so, you know, the saving is, that that interpretation is almost like Jacob recognizing that the, the man he has been wrestling has been merciful to him. At least you could read it that way, like, I have been saved. One way of reading that is like, mm. that guy could have messed me up, but didn't. Now, I don't know. Like, I don't know how we ought to read that exactly. That's just so interesting, Bobby. That like the idea that I know Jacob doesn't say God saved me, but that he's asked God to be saved and now he's been saved. So I'm sort of, you know, yeah. inferring, I guess, that God has saved him from from the wrestling with wrestling match with God, like is, yeah. I don't know. Isn't that just how it is, Bobby? Yeah. The last thing that I want to notice in this passage is Jacob survives the night, but he walks with a limp mm. because mm-hmm. he tore his muscle. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts about the significance of that limp? I mean, it just seems so, uh, it just seems so true to me, like that, that while Jacob has this new blessing and this maybe sort of new element of his identity that has come from this experience, it's not that nothing is lost in these wrestlings. Like we don't, maybe we gain strength in some arenas and we lose strength in others. Like that, I think that's, I think that's really real. Yeah. And I don't know that this text is talking about this in a metaphorical way, but that's how, I mean, yeah, okay, fine. If you literally wrestle someone, you might literally hurt your thigh. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's true of all the different kinds of wrestling we do. Like there is real, there is real loss. It's not just yeah. everything gets better and better and better. Yeah. And it's like, you know, constant shooting up to the yeah. stars. I think that's so important. And Jacob comes out of this encounter with a blessing and with a limp. And so that's important to hold on to both of those things. Yes. Yes. All right, Amy. So at the end of this complicated text, when you think about places where it connects with our life and the lives of our communities, what are you taking away today? 
the thought that I can't quite shake and I'm not quite sure what to do with other than to put it on the table here is, is sort of going back to that question of why would God wrestle Jacob yeah. here? And, you know, we've talked along the way, you know, in this season and certainly in previous seasons about how, how God, you know, tries to have this relationship with all the people that doesn't work out so well. And then it finally is like, I need to narrow this down and, you know, deal with one person. But there really is a sense, I have a sense as a reader, that God is figuring out how to be in this relationship too. Yeah. It's not just that humans are figuring out how to be in relationship with God. And God is kind of constantly tweaking things <laughs> to, to figure out how to be in relationship with humans. And Jacob is tough. Like Jacob yeah. is demanding. Yeah. And Abraham does negotiate with God about like the people in, in Sodom, but it's not really for his own. He doesn't demand things for himself in the way that Jacob does. Yeah. And so reading this, this time through, I wonder if, it was precisely Jacob saying, now you said <laughs> yeah. that I was going to have the following things. And that means you have to save me now. Like that kind of like strong demand that maybe wasn't initially what God sort of had in mind. And maybe God was like, no, actually you need to check yourself yeah. and, you know, get into quote unquote right relationship here with me. But then what comes out of it is something completely different, is that there is this like full, wholehearted wrestling between both of them and their relationship emerges as something that is certainly different for Jacob, but I think also different yeah. for God. Yeah. That's pretty mind-blowing. It is. Yeah, I love the way but it's But cra- it's crazy for me now as a modern Jew to say like, of course you have to lift up the your true fears and hopes and and what it is you want, what it is you feel like you need, and then God will do whatever God does with it. But if you're not doing that in prayer, what are you what are we doing? I feel like that all ties back just the chutzpah of that ties yeah. back to like this idea, like I have to I have to say what's true and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. And I feel like my sort of like confidence in that view of what prayer is supposed to be really ultimately comes back down to this wrestling match. Yeah. Which is pretty wild. I really love that, Amy. I love so I love so much about that. And it's right along the lines of what I've been thinking about this text, although I had not put it together quite so well. I just love that this text suggests that the relationship between human beings and God is genuinely that. It's it's a relationship in which both parties have stakes and there is a wrestling, which is a genuine wrestling. There is a mercy to the wrestling because Mm -hmm. God is God and God could presumably choose to end the wrestling match (laughs) if God wanted to. And so God sort of shows some, mercy in allowing us to wrestle, but God mm-hmm. seems to engage in and be invested in and be challenged by and changed by the wrestling that goes on here with Jacob, then with Israel. Christians would say with with people of Christian faith mm-hmm. as well. 
this is not a God who fits neatly into the philosophical categories of, you know, omniscient, omnipotent, unchangeable. Like this is a God who is in the fray down here with us. And I read, I read God kind of laughing at the end of this text, even though it's not really mm-hmm. there, but like, I cannot believe you wrestled me to a draw and now I've got to bless you. Like, <laughs> well done, man. Like you did like good on you. I love yeah. that image of God as sort of like appreciating the appreciating the wrestle. The other piece that is there is that limp at the end. And I love what you said about that a little bit earlier, that like wrestling with God, wrestling with ourselves, wrestling with the trials of life, it changes us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it yields blessing and we don't want to let go until the blessing is yielded, but it also marks us and wounds us and we carry the marks of that wrestling on with us. And to keep in mind that, you know, that image at the end is Jacob has a blessing and the limp. Uh, yeah. And oftentimes those seem to come together. They do in this story. They seem in life to come together oftentimes. That seems like a valuable thing to keep in mind too. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Bobby, it happened. I saw new things in this text that I've read 85,000 times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It's good. Yeah. All right, Amy. So next week, we're going to move over into the book of Exodus, where we're going to get the narrative of the events surrounding the birth of Moses and Moses' encounter with God at Sinai. All righty. I'll be here. All right. I'll see you then. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash biblewormpodcast for details. Bible Worm is produced and edited by Bobby Williamson. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby, and our theme music is The World at Large by Dano Songs. Many thanks to all of our Patreon supporters for helping make this podcast possible. Join us again next time when we'll talk about the birth of Moses and his encounter with God on Mount Sinai, as told in Exodus 1.8-2.10 and 3.1-15. Until then, keep on digging.